0: Welcome into District 1 Sports, Mike and Micah back with you for another week. This is going to be a special episode, let me just say that. Micah, we came off of a great run to end the season with the Wizards, but there were certain things that we brought up throughout this run that I feel all manifested itself in essentially a 20-point loss to the Boston Celtics last night to secure the 7th seed and find your way into the playoffs. Luckily, since the last time that we talked and we both predicted it, the Wizards got into the eighth seed. So they have one more chance against the Indiana Pacers on Thursday to secure their spot and be in the NBA playoffs. But so much went wrong. I have a long list of things I want to discuss. But Micah, I'm going to give it to you first. Give me what went wrong for you. Why did the Wizards look so bad against the Boston Celtics? They hadn't been blown out by more than 10 points. Since the Dallas Mavericks yep. on, I believe April third, and all of a sudden, national TV, no other game going on, they get embarrassed in front of the Boston Celtics.
1: What went wrong? Everything went wrong, um, from the jump, man. It was one of those nights for the Wizards that we talked about for a long time on this pod and you know previous pods or whatever the case may be. Some nights just don't feel right for the Wizards. Certain things happen, whether it's early foul trouble to some of your key defensive starters starting the game off, whether it's high-energy guys getting, you know, once again into foul trouble that kind of throws off the energy, and overall just bad offense and bad coaching and a lot of things you mentioned that we've talked about over and over that we didn't need to see from the Wizards, whether they were in the play-in, whether they were tanking, whatever the case may be, a lot of those things that went wrong, that have been going wrong, Absolutely went wrong last night against the Boston Celtics. Um, where to begin? We can start with the first quarter, honestly. And we can just kinda walk through in my uh my little synopsis here. So from the first quarter on, it was just an issue. Um Of course the rest weren't necessarily on our side as they haven't really been all season, and Boston was getting a lot of favorable calls, but even with those favorable calls, man, there was just a clear lack of energy. And it all started with the foul trouble. Um Daniel Gaffer getting three fouls in what the first quarter? that hurts because what Daniel Gafford was bringing to the table was high energy play something that we talked about was needed with this Wizards squad I mean, In this iteration of the Wizards since the trade deadline they've been considered a high energy team that plays top 5 offense and is considered one of the better defenses in the league and we kind of saw that break down a little bit and i think tonight was the night where we truly saw that whatever momentum that was going on on the defensive side it was cap it was it was a it was a lie it was a sh- whatever you want to call it, a charade, a facade. They couldn't guard a soul last night. And, you know, that thing that was happening that could have happened was, you know, the X factor for the Celtics was Jason Tatum. And it's hard to really say that your possible superstar is an X factor, but Jason Tatum is an X factor because he can either go for 25 points, which was the regular Jason Tatum night, or he can kill you for 50. And he killed the Wizards for 50. And... Once again, it confounds all the other things. Whether it's bad offense from Russ, not necessarily getting into the flow, of things him forcing really early on puts his team into a bad position. Davis Bertans not being the three point shooter that he's supposed to be, and other guys having to step up. You know, when you're only your best, uh, excuse me, when your best bench player is Ish Smith for the night, it's going to be an issue. And I love what Ish Smith did, you know, showing his leadership and showing how you know vital he could be to a deep playoff team. It just wasn't getting it done last night. And once again, we'll kind of go through it. When you start to get into these situations where Russ is taking bad shots and you're not playing defense and no changes come from that. And I'm looking at you, Scott Brooks, where no changes come from that. then it's a recipe for disaster every single time. Scott Brooks, what were you doing last night with these (laughs) rotations? We've got you. We got on you all season for this. And it's one of the reasons you'll be fired. But what were you doing last night? The fact that there was other combinations of guys you could have played, the fact that Davis Bertans was crapping the bed, to say it in the nicest way possible, he was crapping the bed, and the fact that when, you know, at times where Russ was forcing it, or whatever the case may be, as he's kind of prone to do in playoffs now, there was no changes being made necessarily. The the biggest change that I can remember was Garrison Matthews coming in at times and kind of just spelling off whatever little production Garrison Matthews brings to the table. Him putting, uh, excuse me, him as in Scott Brooks putting in Garrison Matthews and Raul Neto, who, yes, great players in their own right for what they do in a, you know small pockets and tangents of the court, they were not solving the problem. When on defense, you have Ish Smith and Bradley Beal guarding a top, for all intents and purposes, a top five scorer when he wants to be in the league, a future MVP in my opinion, Jason Tatum. He's gonna go off on you for fifty. He was literally he was literally at the top of the key, thirty five feet away, smiling at Ish Smith. Like, oh, I'm about to cook him because this is Ish Smith. And I understand why Bradley Beal wanted those assignments against Jason Tatum. But dude, this is a playoffs. This is not gonna work. And of course, Rui Hachimura was in foul trouble. We didn't necessarily have the player to step out there and guard him from thirty five on. But there's other things you can do on defense, whether that's trapping, whether that's kind of trap. Know, Just trap, just trap the guy. Trapping, trapping, just trap the guy. And, you know, I'm trying to find other ways to say it, but it's simple. You could have trapped him all over the court. You could have put a defensive focus on him, and it didn't feel like they put the defensive focus on him until after he went for 22 points in seven minutes in the third quarter. And so after we were down basically 20 points, and after the game was, for all intents and purposes, out of reach. And, yes, we made a little run. Brad Stevens said it best in a little wide uh, section that, TNT and, you know, uh, all the basketball podcasts do that, yeah, not podcasts. excuse me, all the basketball recordings um, and broadcasts do, that, yes, this is going to be a game of runs, and the game's not over just because you go on a run. The Wizards did go on a run to kind of close it, but at the end of the day, the Wizards were not going to win that game once <laughs> Jason Tatum started to do whatever he wanted on the court. Long story short, man, and you'll light into them even more than I will, um, I'm sure, Mike, but this Wizards team is really just the product of the same mistakes they've been making all year. When Russ isn't playing productive basketball, let's say that. When Bradley Beal is fighting injuries and Russ isn't playing productive basketball and you're not getting the best version of the Wizards when they're in stupid foul trouble and your best shooters aren't making shots when there's no three-pointers being made, this team absolutely sucks because when this happens, there's no defense being played. There's no energy. And when there's no defense and there's bad offense, the Wizards are the same team they were in January. And you hate to see it right now because it's May. And this is when you see the best version of them. And for the last couple of weeks, we've seen the best version of the Wizards. But they reverted back to their old ways. And um, I'm a little scared for this Pacers game, man.
0: I haven't been this upset with the Wizards team in months, maybe years. Because the way that they played last night was just embarrassing. There's a certain thing that you get where the Wizards aren't on national TV often. So when you have them on national TV... The one thing, even if they lose, is like, don't embarrass yourself. Let's seem like we're an organization that is moving forward, that we're finding our footing, that we're going in the right direction. And we have not been able to do that. So I had notes for, I'll get to Scott Brooks at the end because I have a lot of notes for him, but individual players themselves. So first, I'll start with Alex Len. 12 minutes he played. He went two for eight from the field. He doesn't shoot threes. He's not at the free throw line. He's not shooting anything deep. He's not handling the ball. He's getting assisted, and you end up two for eight in 12 minutes. How does that happen from a setter, from a big guy? Not your fault. You shouldn't be playing in the first place. You shouldn't be starting in the first place. But if you are going to play, if you are going to start, two for eight is not the way to go. Rui Hachimura, four for five from the field, 17 minutes. Don't get in foul trouble. It's as simple as that. You already know that you are in foul trouble, and they're calling ticky-tack stuff. Why exactly is your third foul at the half-court line up against somebody when they're just going for a loose ball? There's no need for you to foul. You have to be more aware. And I understand he's still technically a rookie. He hasn't played in big games. But we don't have time for rookie mistakes in the play And yet. If this was game one of a seven-game series, I don't care. I'm not upset. This is what happens in basketball. There's going to be one game where we would dominate the Celtics. And there will be one game the Celtics would dominate us. But that's not the case. It's a one game sample size for your life, and we weren't able to come up. Neto. I'm not mad at Neto. Neto's coming off of a hamstring injury. We saw how long it took Brad to warm up last game, and he still had to warm up this game. But if Neto is not going to be 100%, there are different lineups that you can go with. There are different things that you can do. Neto could still play, but to start him, it brings zero energy. Russ. Now, I said that I won't slander Russ again this <laughs> season. I don't want to slander him here, but when you are off and your shot isn't falling, when you shoot those quick threes, it's essentially a turnover. Because people aren't set on the offensive end, so they're not running back on defense, and you're giving open passing lanes. Russ will calm down, pull up from three, it bounces long, the Celtics will get back on a fast break, and it's an easy score. And it happened multiple times during the game. I am tired of seeing him, when he's not on, continue to shoot. That was the biggest difference in the run that we went on before the season ended versus earlier in the season, where Russ was in a position where some days he would only shoot eight, nine times a game. And yeah, that's not a lot, especially for Russ. And he did only shoot 18 times, and that doesn't seem crazy. But when you go six for 18, it doesn't help anybody. It's not helping a soul. And Brad, I don't really have much for Brad except for stop complaining. Because you put the Wizards defense in a lot of situations where it was 4-on-5. You're not going to get the foul call. You didn't get the foul call. Stop complaining and run back to the other end and play some defense. Now, your coach didn't put you in the best position, so when he has you switching on to Jason Tatum, not your fault. But at least make it so that it's not 4-on-5 and it's a wide open look. Moving on. Bertans. 33 minutes, 1-for-8, 0-for-7. At minute 10, I feel like, Micah, everybody knew, okay, Bertans doesn't happen. It. It's clear he's one of those players that, within five to ten minutes of his start, you know whether he's going to be good Bertans or bad Bertans. Not only did he was he bad by Bertans, but Scott Brooks played him more than he played played him in the last game against the Charlotte Hornets. That's coaching. Bretons, you have to hit your shots. You're getting paid eighty million dollars to be a three point sniper. You go over seven. I don't think Joe Harris is going over seven. You guys have similar contracts. If your job is to do one thing it should be automatic. We shouldn't be having this conversation. Steve Kerr, he had one thing that he had to do, make threes. He did it right. Joe Harris has made his threes. Ray Allen made his threes. So you have one job, make your threes. 0 for 7 is unacceptable. I don't care one. Robin Lopez, I enjoyed his minutes. He went 2 for 5. I wish he played more. Um Gafford, we've been banging the drum... For months that you should get more playing time, that you're the best center on this team. And to Scott Brooks' credit, he saw that Alex Lamb wasn't getting it done with his two for eight. And he put you in. And you come in and get three fouls in the first quarter? How exactly are you supposed to play a full game if you're getting three fouls in one quarter? Not a half, one quarter. We can't bang the drum that, oh, let's play Daniel Gafford more. If Daniel Gafford doesn't even want to keep himself on the court. It was stupid fouls, and I'm tired of the excuse because we always use this excuse, and yeah, sometimes it's warranted, but we always use this excuse that, hey, uh, the refs are on our side. Oh, they're not calling. I don't care. If you understand that the refs are calling Tickies tax stuff, let them shoot the shots instead of you getting in foul trouble because we need you on the other end, and Gafford just wasn't able to get it done. Ish Smith, amazing. Just an amazing game for him. I'm happy to see that he's thriving since he got back from his injury. And Garrison Matthews, just a fearless guy, comes in, takes two threes, one for two. Maybe playing more Scott Brooks. But that's for the players. Now let's move on to the head coach of this Washington Wizards basketball team. And I'll say this now. If Scott Brooks is here next year, I don't know if I'm watching this team. Because I can't keep putting up with this. So my first question for Scott Brooks, why does Lund keep starting? From the moment the game started, there was zero energy. We're always trailing in the first couple of minutes, and then Gaffer comes in and gets an alley-oop, and it feels like, oh, the Wizards have finally come here to play. So why exactly are we still going with this Len as a starter? He's not good. He was a minus 12. and yeah, most of the people were minus numbered, but you could tell his minus 12 was really bad. Why did Bertans play 30 minutes, Scott Brooks? He was bad. We said first 10 minutes, we know what is going on with Bertans, and he still played another 23 minutes. The game that Lopez should have played more, where you have Tristan Thompson, you don't have an athletic big that he's going to have to body up on the other end, and Tristan Thompson, is nobody thinks of him as an elite, great defender, you end up not playing Lopez more when people are in foul trouble. It makes no sense. The hook has been pretty automatic all season, and the game that it seems it should work out. Robert Williams, yeah, I don't think it's the best thing for uh, Lopez, but Tristan Thompson, he can body Tristan Thompson, but no. He doesn't want to do that. Garrison Matthews. Bertans isn't guarding Jason Tatum well. Why exactly should we just not go with Garrison Matthews? Maybe he'll hit the threes. Because Jason Tatum is an automatic two or three. Let's give ourselves an actual shot to hit a three with Garrison Matthews. And then why do we switch everything on defense? It's upsetting to see how each and every time... We are switching where the matchups are so unfavorable. It's just clear out, okay, I'm switched. It's a three-guard lineup, so I could either switch on Beal, Neto, or Ish. And each time he cooks him, Ish tried his best. Beal, I, this is not one-on-ones, and I know you think you can guard Jason Tatum. He's pulling up over you. He's, each and every time he's pulling up over you, he's bodying you. He's making you look pedestrian. And it, it's not. it's not anything that you can do because he's so much taller than you. And instead of us fighting over screens, we just switch everything and say, well, if he scores, he scores. After a while, you have to realize as a team that this is not working. And Scott Brooks just does not make adjustments. We were up to it halftime, but it was very clear that one coach went into halftime and made second half adjustments. And one coach just said, hey, let's keep doing what we're doing. And that's the biggest issue with Scott Brooks. He's not making adjustments. He's not doing anything on the fly. And he allows Russ and Brad to just run the team. If Bertans isn't making shots, you know who also doesn't make shots? Isak Banga. But maybe Isak Bonga Banda- can play a little bit of defense. Because if Bertans isn't hitting threes, yeah, Isak can go 0 for 7. But maybe D up Jason Tatum a little bit. It's a lot with this team, and I'm tired of this stuff. And we have discussed this over the past couple of weeks that, yeah, even though we're winning, there are a couple of flaws that if they back-to-back games, it can be over in an instant. And now we're in a situation that in one second, in one game, this season can be over and there's nothing that this team is looking like they're going to change because they play like this for months now. They're still going to switch. They're still going to run after uh, players that are going in the lane. Those players are going to kick it out to three-point shooters and it's going to be an automatic three. We just saw what the Pacers did. They put up 140. They did not miss from the three-point line. And now we're going to go ahead and have the Pacers come here to DC and shoot those same threes and expect them to miss? Yeah, okay. So, Micah... What exactly do you think the team needs to do different to beat the Pacers on Thursday?
1: Perimeter defense has to improve, and there's no if-ends or but about it. If you watch that Indiana Pacers versus Charlotte Hornets game, and you mentioned it, man, they went 16 from 35 from three. That's 45. As a team, they as a team they were almost a 50-40-90. They went 50, 45, and 80. As a team, that's impeccable. That's heat kind of numbers right there and with a team that only getting what a night or two off to get right back at it they're still going to be hot there's no doubt about it the Pacers are coming to play and with the stakes at hand they're coming to play there has to be an emphasis on first of all controlling the team's best scores and with the Pacers I mean the Hornets didn't necessarily play the best defense and they're not necessarily built like the Wizards but I do think, on paper, the Wizards do have the tools and the necessary players to guard the perimeter against the Pacers. There's guys for Doug McDermott who's going to and he's going to take five plus threes. There's guys for Malcolm Brogdon who's going to be able to contribute 15 points in an efficient way, which he's been kind of been doing for really pretty much his whole career now. But when it's time for you know guys like Sabonis and stuff to be guarded, whether that's on the block. And the key, whatever the case may be, you have to have guys for that, too. And I do think we have the personnel to do that. So I need defensive effort, excuse me, defensive effort to start on the perimeter and phase right into the interior game. Because when we play good defense, considerably good defense as, you know, rankings and stuff, have considered the Wizards to be over the last month or so. We've shown that we can get out on those teams rankings really or games in the convincing. We've game. watched the game. Those, those those you know bold. what? those rankings are bull but there was there there have been some moments where the defense has been like okay at the very least they're giving enough effort and making smart and sound defensive decisions where they're winning games and if all else the Wizards are going to lose the game on the defensive end but what I really need to see on the offensive end and we can go on about defense and stuff but a lot of defense in most professional sports is goddamn effort give some effort out there be smart but on offense it's a totally different thing for one Russ is going to control the pace, but by God, Russ, if you shoot and brick us out of this game against the Pacers, I'm not going to be able to forgive him. And I don't care what other stuff he does for the rest of his career, whether that's with the Wizards or anybody else. For two, you got to get your shooters smart shots. There was a lot of times where I felt like the Wizards settled or they didn't necessarily have a plan on offense. And from what we've seen this season, when the Wizards don't have a plan on offense, it's a crap shoot. It's terrible out there. They have to find a way to, well, of course, Beal has been hurt, but Beal can, stu- can still contribute. And if anything, he can be a decoy. If anything, he can be a decoy. He's still going to be good for his 20 plus points, even hurt. But Beal moving around, or you know, putting Beal in certain spots on the court can open up other lanes for guys. It can open up the interior. It can open up the corners. And we've seen this throughout the years where they've used Beal just like that with guys like John Wall and Trevor Rees on the court. Boganovich, who was a great three-point shooter for us, he's been that guy who, you know, when you space out your one and your two and you have your three and your, you know, your wings kind of sitting out there on the corners or the top of the key, you can get open shots. I need to see convincing half-court offense and not just run-and-gun rust style, which this team is very liable to, you know, bring to the table and you hate to see it because that style does not work and we've gone on for months about how that style does not work. But the biggest thing I need from the Wizards Is good coaching. Please, Scott Brooks, if you've ever done anything in your life, when things go to the crap, when things go to shit in the game, because things are going to go to shit. It's the NBA. It's a game of runs, man. You could be down 20 and up 20 in five minutes if you really, really, you know, want to be. I'll say that. If you really, really want to be, you can have that kind of disparity. But with Scott Brooks, just make the solid basketball moves that it seems like everybody on Twitter and the basketball world, is thinking about when grant hill is sitting on commentary and like oh hey why is ish smith and bradley bill guarding jason tatum over and over again while he puts up 30 and a quarter i don't know scott brooks maybe you should make a choice maybe you should make a change maybe you should bring in some of your defensive guys and this is why i say we have the personnel because we have the personnel on paper to match up with a lot of the teams in the league but for some reason Coaching is always holding us back. And I just need to see a better coaching effort, a better and smarter offensive game plan and defensive effort. And I do think we have a chance to win if that comes to the table. Now, (laughs) will that come to the table? Who knows? Who honestly knows with this Wizards team, bro, because sometimes they're the top five team and sometimes they're the worst team ever created in life. But if you can get those things, a solid offensive game plan, with a concise you know effort and and, you know you're moving guys and you're actually getting open clean shots and Russ is dictating the game as he does then okay on the defensive side if we're not getting bad switches and leaving guys wide open we're not going under screens and we're not playing aggressive or excuse me if we are playing aggressive then okay they have a chance but it doesn't matter none of that matters if Scott Brooks doesn't do his job and manage the game as great NBA coaches do Brad Stevens. One of the great coaches in the league right now because he understands how to manage the game and talk, to, talk his players through bad situations. When, he to, when I mentioned that he told his team about the run that was going to be you know, upcoming from the Wizards, they handled that miraculously. It was a point where we got it back down to single digits and it was like, okay, you know, the Wizards are coming back and the Celtics did what great teams do that are led by great coaches. They pushed the lead back out and they made sure this game was out of sight and out of mind. We can beat the dead horse all we want, but it's a Scott Brooks-led thing going down. It's a Scott Brooks and Russ thing led going down, man. When they're both off, we're probably the worst team in the league, truthfully. But when they're both... Well, when Russ is on and Scott Brooks is decent, we have a chance to realistically beat about 25 teams in the league, and I think the Pacers is one of them. So hopefully, and I'm praying for it, hopefully, they come to play. Because if not, it's going to be a rude awakening for... DC Sports, Scott Brooks, Russell Westbrook, everybody, it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. But I do hope that they come to play, and I'm kind of leading to them coming to play, and we possibly get a win.
0: Any hope that we can win this game is the fact that Russell Westbrook, his numbers against the Pacers this season in those three yeah. games are insane, yeah. where he's averaging a triple-double, over 20 points, uh, over 15 rebounds, and I think it was over 17 assists. And those numbers obviously are insane. But this team that we played before, what, two weeks and now, I want to say, ago, they didn't have Michael Brogdon. Yeah, they had Karis LeVert, and Karis LeVert would not be playing because of health and safety protocols, Mm -hmm. but they didn't have Michael Brogdon. And Brogdon being in there changes their whole dynamic. I believe the Wizards can win, of course. What needs to happen? In the playoffs, the game slows down, and that's what affects Russell Westbrook the most. So they have to make sure they push the pace. They can't play like they did in the Celtics, where the Celtics were the ones dictating what this game should be. They were like, okay, we're going to run now. Okay, no, we're going to go up slow. Russ needs to be that guy that pushes the pace. Brad, I can see it with Brad, especially with the hamstring now. Once he starts making his layups, everything comes easier after. So not settling for jump shots. Rui, you're going to have a defensive assignment against Sabonis. Don't get yourself in foul trouble early. Because if you have Bertonzo Sabonis again, it's going to be more of the same that we saw. And Sabonis, his games, he's almost averaged a triple-double his games against the Wizards too. So let's not have a situation where Sabonis is going off because you can't play. Besides that, you have to do it in spite of the coach because Scott Brooks hasn't shown the ability to changes. That Russ and Brad was so good that you didn't have to worry about what Scott Brooks was doing, but he's not going to make any adjustments at halftime or anything to win the game for you. So why do I even worry about what Scott Brooks is going to do? Best players just have to lead, and you have the best two players on the court. have to win the game. It's as simple as that. If you're Brad, and you wanted to be a leader of a team, and you want to lead a team, the moment to do it. You can't blame anybody else because the leaders they take over. Tatum had 50 points. They didn't have Jalen Brown yesterday. Kimber has been pretty terrible this season. He had 28 points. So if you truly are a superstar, if you're truly upset that you get snubbed for all NBA. Each and every season. These are the games that remind people that, hey, I'm all NBA as a top 15 player. Russ, the narrative on Russ is he sucks in the playoffs. Maybe if you want to help that narrative out, don't lose back-to-back games to the Celtics and the Pacers. That's just me. If you lose to that team that literally was about to fire their coach, Woj came out and said that. What does that mean for your team? I don't know. I don't know. I'm positive going into tomorrow. I think they can win. But if they lose, it's all for nothing. Coming up, we're going to switch over to a little bit more positive well, I guess not so positive for Morgan Moses, but a more positive team in the Washington football team. So we'll be right back. Welcome back. Micah, some news dropped yesterday that nobody was really expecting. But the Washington football team was all done with their signings, their moves, and we were ready to go into the season. Uh, They signed Bobby McCain, they signed Charles Leno. We were like, okay, we got our vets in from that second wave of free agency. Let's go ahead and get going. And then <laughs> Ian Rappaport comes. Major news for the Washington football team that the Washington football team is allowing Morgan Moses to get traded. Morgan Moses, an Ironman, one of those stalwarts for the team from Virginia, played in the DMV area for college, now got to play for his hometown team in-, in D.C., best friends with Trent Williams, the whole nine. He was just a great guy. And now it comes out, his contract isn't crazy. He's played almost every single game. I was confused with this one but after talking about it before we got on this pod Mike I'm a little it makes a little bit more sense go first what do you
1: make of this Morgan Moses being able to seek a trade so what I really make out of this well for one um this is kind of just the trend going on and there's an interesting kind of anecdote with that trend but the old regime guys who kind of stuck through it and were high level players is because us consider them top 15 at their position they're all getting a the veterans kind of glory way out like okay you know what you're not necessarily part of the young core that we're building um you're not necessarily a factor of the future but to say that you're a bad player at all is ridiculous and that's why you, you know we're putting trade out there because you do have trade value um we've seen it with ryan kerrigan man do we want him with the eagles no is he going to play meaningful snaps with the Washington football team next year, probably not, given how the offseason free agency and the development of the D-line has gone. So you trade a guy like that. And the same thing is kind of in line with Morgan Moses now. With all the O-line moves, and I mean all of the O-line moves we made, we really made sure we short up the O-line. Is there necessarily a role for Morgan Moses? No, especially when you got high production out of Cornelius Lucas last year. You signed Charles Leno Jr., You draft Samuel Cosby and you still, you know, you bring in Eric Flowers and you you can just keep going on with the list. But there's, you still have Sadiq Charles who doesn't, who knows where he's going to end up getting placed on the O-line. There's a lot of means and ways to go about this. And Morgan Moses just isn't part of the picture. And it's not an indictment on him for the contract he was playing on and for what he did last year especially. He still has high value. Morgan Moses, one of his biggest knocks from, you know, 2020 in the past, or from last from last season and before, was that he was a guy who gives you a lot of effort, but sometimes that led to a lot of penalties. Last year he cleaned that up uh, in a great way, actually. Um, it was a surprising change, but I do think that he became more technically sound and just a bit, you know, being smarter with the the holdings and things like that, and the things that were just unnecessary. He cleaned that up. So it's not to say that he's worse or better than any other guys, but as I mentioned. When Cornelius Lucas is right there, when you have to develop Samuel Cosme, when Sadiq Charles once again we don't know where he's going to play, why not give these other guys a chance? Because now you have your left—you know—you have your left tackle, you have your anchor of the old line right there with Charles Leno Jr. And once again, he's a guy who's going to bring high production and high value to that role. But that right tackle spot is just up for running. I mean, there's a number of guys who could start there. Jaron Christian is still on roster, so I mean, there's a, there's a number of ways you can go about it. But I do think that Morgan Moses' time in D.C. is up for the simple fact that it's just a new regime and a new guard. There's a lot of younger guys who you could develop into a guy that's better than Morgan Moses. So why waste time on Morgan Moses now? It makes sense to me, and I'm kind of happy to see the football team moving this way because this is what great franchises do. They might have great players from the past, but when there's a guy who's threatening that spot and you don't necessarily need to create an issue where there is and you already have a logjam at positions when there's too much talent which that's a thing sometimes when there's just a little bit too much talent you start to make moves and you allow guys to go seek trades whatever the case may be so is this move um alarming at you know when we first seen it yes but when you really think about it this is honestly just a move for the future and I think I really do think that we'll be uh you know the team to come come out on top of this move. But um, Morgan Moses will be missed, first and foremost. And as always, thank you for what you've done for the franchise. Thank you for holding down that other side with Trent Williams for all those years. But it's just time to move on. It's really as simple as that. You
0: said that perfectly. At first, I was shocked with the move, the talk coming out of the draft. And I didn't believe this. I thought Cosme could start week one. They said is <laughs> still away. From what I watched, and O-line is one of my favorite positions to watch, I didn't see a guy that was ways away that needed to sit, that it was paramount yeah. that he sat because he wasn't ready to start. Obviously, after rookie minicamp, the Washington football team believes the same thing, too. So after looking at it, and like you said, after we talked, it made more sense on how this move and what they were trying to do. And it's trying to get all Ron Rivera guys in, not saying Moses wasn't a Ron Rivera guy, but guys that they draft, guys that they develop in our system to understand that from the jump, this is what I, this is what I want. And this is how we're going to do things. And having those guys in there, I think, helps with Ron Vera changing the culture. We'll touch on Kerrigan to end, end it off. But I just think he's trying to clean house of anything that was a Bruce Allen stench. That going forward, it's like, OK, these are all guys. Yeah, we're going to make the playoffs. We're going to be a good team. We're going to have the depth. And Brother Moses, he's expendable. If you can get a fifth round pick for him, yeah, so be it. Let that happen. Why not? We had to give up a what a sixth round for a last year because we had all those tackle injuries. Why not recoup a fifth-round pick or a fourth-rounder if you possibly can for Morgan Moses? If you have to release him, hey, that's salary cap space that post-June one cut, so it's not as big on the cap. So there are a lot of ways that you can go with this, and if they really do think Cosme or Lucas will be a better option right. right now. I'm not complaining, and Ron and I trust. I love Morgan Moses. I love what he did for his team, for the community and everything, but it's time to move on. Summer, Kerrigan, and Moses, it's very clear what Ron Rivera is trying to do off season, and I'm not mad at it because Kerrigan didn't really play, and I'll get to him now. I'm happy for him. It sucks that he's with the Eagles, so you can't really celebrate him as much, but I'm happy for the guy. I mean, he was here through tough times. He was my favorite player. Because there was nobody else to root for that would be here long term. Somebody would come and then an injury or the worst thing would happen and they would be gone. And now you have a guy that was here for all of his career. Hey, go to be great against the Eagles for, what, 15 games out of the season. Two games you can suck, but... Be the best D N you can for the Eagles for fifteen games. I'm gonna root for him, and I'm happy for Kerrigan. Um, he's still a good, in my opinion, uh, just not to the level of Chase Young and Montez Sweat.
1: Yeah, and you made a great point, and everything you said about Kerrigan is true. He's the all-time sack leader for this franchise. He's going in the Ring of Fame. He played out his Washington career amazingly. There's no doubt about it. He didn't get his time wasted. He was here when. He was here when Mike Shanahan was here when we had Brian Arakpo on the other side, man. He's seen it all. He's really seen it all. All the iterations of this last decade. But that was a decade ago that he was drafted, pretty much. Like, it's time to move on. And Ryan Kerrigan, I mean, look, he still has some in the tank. I mean, we've seen it last year. Against the Eagles, the team he plays for now, he literally won Defensive Player of the Week. You know, in a team that had Chase Young and Montez Sweat out there, that he was the one Whatever you know, whatever game he had, that game, that he was the one that stood out the most. So he does have something in the tank. And it is interesting that you noted um, the fact that all of the Bruce Allen stench. And the stench doesn't necessarily have to be guys that are bad. Well, sometimes they are guys that are bad. But guys who are just not necessarily fitting fully with what's going on. There's still two more guys left. One on the offense, one on the defense. And that's Landon Collins, and that's Brandon Sheriff. And going forward, there's two interesting things that could happen, and who knows what's going to happen. Um, the Sheriff thing is interesting. I expect them, you know, really to buy in, or I expect them to think that he's going to be able to buy in to what's going on because out of all the players that you are expendable, um, he's not because he is a top five at his position, arguably maybe the best right tackle, or excuse me, not right tackle, right guard in football. And the last thing you want is a guy like that walking out of the building. But what this regime has already done is possibly found his replacement and whoever they decide to put in there. So we'll see what happens there, too. That was the one little interesting anecdote I mentioned. But going back to Ryan Kerrigan and kind of the trend going on here, I'm really, really happy. And I'll reiterate this, man. I'm really, really happy that they're trimming the fat early on and they're not creating position battles with vets and young guys that don't need to happen. That's something that the last regime I felt like maybe. Was a little bit iffy to do, maybe for culture, quote unquote, culture reasons, as Bruce Allen would have say, said or whatever the case may be. Some things need to be handled in the offseason, season, and you need to have the professionalism and the grace to allow guys to find new homes that have done you, you know, done your franchise right for a decade. So, the guys that are leaving that are vets, we will miss them, but they're being done a service, in my opinion, at this point because they weren't going to play here, but they could play somewhere else. A lot of these guys will be playing and starting somewhere else. So let them go start somewhere else. It's not a hurting the team at all. Let's just move on and let's play some football with the new guys we have.
0: You said it there perfectly, Micah. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We'll be back, like we said, on Friday. Hopefully, fingers crossed to preview a series against the Philadelphia 76ers. If not, we'll be wrapping up the Wizard season's what it means, what the offseason should look like. We'll talk some Nats. We'll talk some Capitals. Make sure we cover all the bases before uh, we leave you this week. But for Mike and for Micah, we'll see you on the next episode. Peace.